0: In last week's sermon, after God's amazing display of power and grace at Mount Carmel when he had his showdown with Baal, after all of that, Elijah ran away from Jezebel when she promised to kill him. Now in that showdown, God's power and grace were seen. His power was seen because this showdown was a contest between two gods, supposedly, Two altars, two animal sacrifices, wood, Elijah stacked the odds against himself by adding water all over, wet animal, wet wood, water everywhere. God's power was shown when he sent fire from heaven, and the fire consumed not only the animal and the wood, but the stones and the dust and the water. But if you stop and think about it, God's grace, his goodness, his kindness and mercy was shown because he showed up. God showed that he alone is God. Well, after Elijah runs, God directs Elijah to Mount Sinai. Again, we looked at that last week. And on Mount Sinai, God gave Elijah three tasks to do. Three men to anoint, which would mean to appoint. And in the third task, in First Kings 19, verse 16, God commanded Elijah that Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so today, we see Elijah complete that task. So remain seated, and let's read together our verses for today. 1 Kings 19, verses 19 to 21. Let's read together. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, and took the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and assisted him. Now, you notice when you're reading this, that when Elijah arrives, Elisha is plowing. Now, by the way, I'm going to try real hard to keep Elijah and Elisha straight. Okay, but it's very similar names. Now, think about what it means. This is not that many weeks after the showdown at Mount Carmel. Remember that at Mount Carmel, Elijah had prayed and God sent rain because there hadn't been any rain for three years. And I believe there had not been any rain. It was another way... God to show that Baal is fake because Baal was the newly imported god of thunder and rain, and God was showing that Baal really wasn't, that God was the one who provided rain. And so now the rain has come and Elisha is plowing, which means almost certainly that the rain had softened the ground and it was possible to plant food again and have it grow. And then, again, this is such a compact way of telling a story. The fact that Elijah is using 12 yoke of oxen, that is 12 pairs, that's a whole bunch, implies that his family is probably wealthy. We don't know that for sure. That's an opinion, so you can just kind of hold it there, But, but possibly. But did you notice, I read verse 16 where God says, anoint Elijah to be prophet. And we just read Elisha's calling, and you don't see the word anoint in there anywhere. So did Elijah disobey? No. Thank you. You got it. He did not. See, back then, you anointed but by pouring oil on somebody's head. And anointing was a way often to formally appoint a person to an office like a priest or a prophet or king. What you see in verse 19 is that Elijah cast his cloak on Elisha. And it seems like it was was like he's walking and he put it on there and he kept on going. Okay. That action of putting his cloak on Elisha was symbolic of the Spirit of God clothing a person. And it's equivalent to Elijah actually taking oil and pouring it on Elisha's head. Let me give you two other scriptures that help us see a little bit more about this idea of the Spirit clothing. In Second Chronicles 24, verse 20, the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord? If you don't catch this, that's an accusation. So that you cannot prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So here's this man standing up to speak. Now, sometimes people think that when the Spirit of God spoke through a man or had him write, that he was just a mouthpiece. He's saying words and he has no idea what he's saying. Or as he's writing, he has no idea what he's writing. And that is the totally wrong way of looking at this. God's Spirit... Clothes Zechariah comes on him God's spirit enables Zechariah to see the situation to see the people and what they're doing God enables God gives him the heart to care for the people and then to speak to them and though the words come from God they also come from Zechariah so as he speaks Second example is in the New Testament Romans 13 verse 14 and it's a command to us but put on Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here, this phrase, put on, is similar to being clothed with the Spirit. It's a spiritual action that we are to do. We're to respond. Just like Jesse changed the song. God, you called and I answered. God calls us and we respond. He says, put on Jesus we spiritually say, all right, I want to become more like Jesus. Now, you look at the verses that we just read with Elisha and Elijah, and it is clear that Elisha understood Elijah's actions. Okay, he runs after him and says, I got the idea, I'm going to follow you. Let me go say goodbye to my parents. And in verse 21, Elisha follows Elijah and serves him. So Elisha clearly understands he is being called. And that this calling means he is going to leave his family. If you stop and think about that, his family has very likely been his security. Where he's been, where he's spent his time, it's what he's familiar with. And he's being called to leave that. Now, in verse 20, Elijah's response to Elisha is hard to understand. Elisha says, so get the sequence. Elijah just kind of walks by, throws the cloak on it. Elisha immediately understands what Elijah is doing and says, let me go say goodbye to my parents, and I'm coming. Now, when he says, let me kiss my father and mother, I take that to mean, let me go say goodbye. And in response, Elijah says, go back again for what has happened to you. Now, there is no consensus among Bible scholars as to what that means. I think it could mean that Elijah is saying, make your own decision. Some people read in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 9, a situation. They take that, apply it to Elisha in this one, and say that Elisha failed. Let's look at Luke 9, starting at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, this Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now on the surface of this, this does seem to have a connection. And it does sort of, but not what you think. This is also not easy to understand because Jesus replies... Using figurative language, he talks about foxes of the, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air, no one who puts his hand to the plow. So there's three men. I want to look at the last two. In verse 59, the, the second man says, I'll follow you, Jesus. Let me go bury my father. And on the face of it, in our culture, we look at Jesus' response, we're kind of assuming <clears throat> that his, this man's father is either dead or very close to death. And we think, gee, my goodness, Jesus is being so unfeeling. Okay, so harsh. What is he doing? Well, if you understand the culture, you'll realize it is not reasonable at all to assume that that man's father had just died, that died that day. You see, in that culture, when a person died, if at all possible, they were buried the day they died. And To bury your relatives was one of the highest priorities in that culture. And, of course, the closer the relative, the higher the priority. So if this man's father had just died, that would have taken precedence over everything. He wouldn't have been there talking to Jesus. He would have been at the house, at his father's house, or at the family tomb. He would have been burying his father. So I believe it's more likely that the man wants to wait however long it is before his father dies, and then he's going to follow Jesus. And then the second man says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go. And in verse 62, Jesus responds to the second man with a quote from a proverb. It was a proverb that had been in Jesus' day around for hundreds of years already. And Jesus applies it to the kingdom of God. And he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now if you think about it, most of us haven't plowed. Maybe you've tilled a garden, maybe you've used a lawnmower. Okay? And if you're going along, you're constantly looking over your shoulder and this shoulder, what are you doing? You're turning. When you learn how to drive a car, what's one of the things that as a teenager, to do. Look over your shoulder, you do not turn your wheel with you. Okay? You can't plow a straight line if you're looking back all the time. It's a poetic way of saying that if you're constantly looking back, you have a divided heart. You've got two competing desires and you cannot choose, you're torn between the two. Now, we have lots of desires. And what God tells us is with all of these desires that you have, keep your desire for God at the top of the list. He doesn't say get rid of all the other desires. He just says keep God at the top. And if you and I are torn between God and something else, that tells where our heart is. We would just as soon, many times, put God at the bottom or move him down a couple of notches and go after, because what are we saying? This thing I desire, this person, this job, this car, this whatever it is, that's going to make me happy. That's going to satisfy and and give me everything I want. And we have to move God down when we say that, like that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. As I said, people have taken Luke 9 and applied it to Elisha wrongly. Okay? But they see plowing. They see he says he wants to say goodbye. But what you don't see in the verses that we just read together, you don't see Elisha hesitating at all, really, to follow Elijah. He does do something, again, that, does, that seems strange in our culture. He takes two of the oxen and he kills them and sacrifices them. Okay, I believe, and a, and a number of people believe, that there with Elisha, with what he's doing there with the oxen, he is making a clear declaration. I am done being a farmer. I'm done. He, you know, he just killed his tractor. Okay, I'm done with it. I'm going to be a prophet now. And I'm going to follow Elijah. And that's what he does. We read, Elisha follows Elijah and he assisted him. That's a nice way of saying he served him. Now, think about this. Elijah, you could say he was either famous or infamous, okay? He's the one who shows up and announces to Ahab, I'm a prophet of God, and it's not going to rain until I say so, and he disappears for three years, and it doesn't rain for three years. Then he shows up again and tells Ahab, get the nation together at Mount Carmel, and Ahab does. They have the showdown, 450 prophets of Baal, and here's Elijah by himself. He's a public figure, Okay? When Elisha becomes a prophet, he does not immediately become a public figure. He does not immediately become famous. He serves. Now, there are some insights that we can get from looking at this short passage. One, Elisha's call was very sudden. I mean, think about it. He's a farmer. He's doing what farmers do. He's plowing his field. This guy walks by, throws his cloak on him. He immediately, though, catches the picture and realizes he is being called to follow. I'm guessing maybe he recognizes Elijah. And so Elijah just interrupts what he's doing, turns his life in a totally different direction. But he's not alone in this. Think about Moses. When he sees the burning bush, he has been a shepherd for 40 years. That's a long time to be around sheep. Okay? But it happened to be very good preparation for him for what it had for him. But just like that, in one day, he sees the burning bush, God talks to him, and now he has a totally different direction. Or look in, in the New Testament at Matthew the tax collector. What is he doing when Jesus shows up? He is sitting in his booth collecting his taxes, doing his job. And Jesus just walks by and says, Follow me. And up he goes, and his life is never the same again. That's not always the case when you get called by God. For many people, the calling develops more slowly, develops over time. And I've had the privilege of hearing both kinds of situations, being a pastor and being part of our presbytery. Our presbytery examines men when they're either applying to be ordained as a pastor Or coming in to take the the pastor position of a church and one of the things they do is they share how God called them to become a pastor and for a few of them they will have a story kind of like Elisha God called me I knew it immediately and began the process of, of becoming a pastor studying and everything else for all the rest it's much more gradual Somebody asked me to teach a Sunday school class. Somebody asked me to teach a Bible study. People said, you know what? You're good at this. Somebody asked him to work with the youth ministry or some other group. And over time, it became clear to them that God was actually calling them to become a pastor. Another insight. When Elijah comes by and puts his cloak on Elisha, and Elisha recognizes it and he begins to follow Elijah, Elijah ends up being around for a good while longer. And Elisha becomes the spiritual son, if you want to say, of Elijah. Elijah mentors him, I believe. So here's the question. Has someone invested in your spiritual life like this? Can you say, I am someone else's spiritual son or daughter? I can. I can think of several people that God used in my life at a very critical time to speak God's word, to to challenge, to just be themselves as God was working in their lives with me, and God used that. If you haven't, let me turn it around. Have you asked somebody who's more spiritually mature, to mentor you spiritually, to challenge you, to help you to grow? And then on the flip side, have you invested yourself in somebody else's spiritual life? Now, it doesn't have to be just um, teacher-student kind of a thing, it can also be peer-to-peer. Okay, but this is part of one-anothering. It's part of living side-by-side. And if if you're not in that situation, pray whether it's you want to be giving or receiving or both, and pray and see what God does and who He brings into your life in what situation that you can have. Here's another insight. Elijah comes along and gets with Elisha because Elisha is going to end up taking over for Elijah. God's plan is bigger than any one person. I mean, just... Think with me for a minute, in the Old Testament, the people and the groups that God used to, to fulfill his promise for Jesus to come. Start with Father Abraham, Bob. Father Abraham was a father, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then, 400 years later, Moses, Joshua, a whole group of people called the Judges, another group of people called the prophets, and then you've got kings, both good and bad, that God used throughout Old Testament history to prepare the way to continue the people on so that Jesus comes. Now, if God only calls Old Testament prophets and in the New Testament, New Testament disciples and pastors and missionaries today, is nice information for you, but that's all it is it doesn't apply to you but God doesn't limit himself to calling just professional clergy okay God calls there's a sense in which God calls every Christian as Jesse was saying God calls us into a relationship and he also calls us to serve and when you think about it that's what God has done all the way through history He's worked all the way through history with different people, and he will continue to do so. And what's so amazing is that God chooses to use people like you and me. And he calls us to participate in his work, his plan, his kingdom, and people's lives. So let's take a minute and talk about this call that God gives us. God calls us to serve. He calls us to serve in whatever capacity Or position God puts us in and we're gonna talk I'm talking a minute about the different kinds of capacities and positions but in any of them God calls us to live all of life under his provision meaning we look to God to provide we follow God's commands on how he calls us to live because he calls us to live in relationships he calls us in this to depend upon him to delight in Him, it's not just work, it's to recognize God's goodness. And we heard, we've already heard today in prayers and other comments, references back to remembering God's goodness to us. And then God also calls us to talk to Him as we go all through life. Now, what different, I call capacities or positions, what different situations does God put where he called us. For example, every one of us, I believe, started off as a child in a family. God put us in that family. I think most of us have students or are students to prepare for life. God has a direction for you. God's given you particular talents and abilities. God gives you particular experiences, all to prepare you and to, to, for you to interact with people. God calls some to be a husband and wife, or father or mother. As far as work, maybe God calls you to work at home, maybe in an office, maybe it's a profession, maybe it's the military. God calls you to a particular church, church family. God puts you in particular neighborhoods and gives you particular friendships. None of those are accidents. None of those are just coincidences. God has called us to these, because he, he has people He wants us to be connected with, to both receive from and to give to. And here is a promise: God provides everything that we need for what He calls us to do. He provides everything that we need. Now, some, especially today, might ask the question: "The authority to call us?" And The short answer is yes. He does. God can call us to His service because God has a claim on our lives, more than one actually. First, He's our Creator. He made every one of us, and for every Christian, he's our rescuer as well. And when it comes to our priorities, God calls us to love him above everything else. We just were looking at the second commandment. The first one is "You shall it's before me God." calls us to put Him above everything else. And again, just like our desires, we have many people and things that we love and enjoy, but God alone deserves to be at the top of that list. And another thing to recognize in the era of compartmentalization, I think I'm cutting out just a little bit here, every now and then. In this time where we like to compartmentalize, God says you don't do that with our relationship with Him because our relationship with God touches every other relationship we have, every other part of our lives. And God, when He calls us to serve, He also calls us to a commitment, to commit to Him. And He makes it very clear He has committed Himself to us. Now, God calls some men and women to full-time ministry, service, but God calls all of us to be his ministers. I've shared with this story with you before, but it's worth repeating. It's a true story from a few years ago. A pastor was teaching on this whole idea. I'm doing one sermon. He did a whole series, a couple of months, on what it means to be called to serve, to be a minister. And one of the church members ended up in the hospital. The pastor couldn't get to see him for a couple of days. So he went to the hospital and he goes up to the desk says, I'm here to see so-and-so, uh-huh, okay. And what's your relationship? Well, I'm his pastor, I'm his minister. And they look at him. And say, do you know how many people have come in the last two days to visit this guy? And every one of them said, I'm his minister. How many ministers does your church have? And he stood back and smiled because he saw people were getting the idea that we are called to serve we are called to be ministers. And this calling includes sharing God's word with the people around us. So we are to speak God's word to others. We're to speak it appropriately, which means there are times when it is not the right time to speak God's truth directly to somebody. But then there's also a way in which to think about a way to, to say what you're doing, saying in a way they will understand. So we are to speak it, but here's the other part. I mean, we, some people are, are much easier for them to speak God's Word to others and to share it. Be witnesses to God's work in our lives. But here's a thought that I think actually can help us whether we're talking about speaking God's Word or just sharing with others and witnessing of who God is in our lives. If you and I are talking to God every day, Then it's going to be a whole lot more natural for us to talk about God with others. But if you're like me, as I was growing up, grew up in the church, I would. Sorry, let's just go to the podium mic only. I would talk to God when I prayed at a meal, when I had my devotions. But other than that, I didn't talk to God much during the day. And so it was not, did not feel natural at all for me to talk to somebody else about God. But if you and I are constantly interacting with God, talking to him, asking him questions, asking God to work, thanking God when we see how he works. If we're constantly talking with him, it's gonna be much, much easier and natural to talk about him and say, this is who God is to me. And this is what God says and here's here's a good way to move forward in this situation based on what God has said. But Here's another piece of serving God. Serving God means, as I've already said, serving other people, but let's be clear, God doesn't call us to serve serve other people that are just like me, only just like me. He actually calls us to serve people that are different, that are not like me. He also calls us to serve people, not just people that we're comfortable with, which is again, what we naturally do. We just kind of naturally gravitate to people who have similar experiences, have similar views. Yet God calls us, no, no, I want you to serve many people including people with different opinions and different viewpoints. And I want you to show them God's love and mercy and kindness as you interact with them And again, as we're serving, not just people that deserve, I have to put that in quotes, to be helped. Because one of the things that you realize as you read the Bible and understand what it says is, none of us deserve to be helped by God. And yet He's done so gladly, at great cost to Himself. He has served us. And we're not deserving of it because we're sinful, broken people in a broken world. And so all the other people, both the ones that we like And are like us and the ones that we don't like that are not like us. All of us are broken people. And if you feel kind of overwhelmed with this idea that God calls us to get involved with other people and to serve, recognize He doesn't call us to serve alone, that is in our own strength. Most often, He doesn't call us to serve alone. It's with other people. And you have opportunities like summer Bible camp and other other situations with neighbors and and family where it doesn't have to be just you. But even if it is just you for the time, you're not alone and I'm not alone because God is with us and God gives us what we need. We need God's grace and his provision every moment of every day and God abundantly gives us everything that we need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you First, we thank you for calling us into a relationship with you, calling us to be your children, making it possible, doing everything needed for us to become your children. And then you call us to partner with you, to serve alongside, to serve under you, under your direction in people's lives. You use us as your hands and feet. You use us to speak to others, to care for others. Lord, we thank you for including us and making us a part of your plan. And thank you for your promise that you give us everything that we need as we walk through all these different situations. Thank you that, that we have life and hope in Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song. Please stand. no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love